Hi, it's Ruth here from the Tiny Huge Decisions team, and I'm so excited to share another podcast with you from American Public Media. This is Uncomfortable, is a podcast from Marketplace about the unexpected ways money can shape our relationships, identities, and the choices we make. This season, the host, Rima, and their team look at the many different routes we take to being our best selves and just how costly those journeys can be. In this episode, you'll meet Kashi Keegan, an aspiring pop star who poured everything he had into making it big. When his self-imposed deadline arrived and his dream hadn't become reality, he hung up his mic for good. However, a few years later, an unexpected email from halfway around the world changed everything. I hope you love hearing about Kashi's journey from Worthing, England to Hong Kong, as we explore just how far some will go to chase their dreams. If you'd like to hear more episodes from Rima and the team, you can find This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Ever since he was little, Kashi Keegan had just one dream. So it, 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 the dream was to be heard, you know, for, for someone to listen. And, 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 and I wanted to do it as a, as a career, right? I wanted to be a re- recording artist. And that is a big dream, obviously. <laughs> When he was in his early 20s, he put everything into music. All his money, his time. I didn't socialize at all. When I wasn't working, I would be in my parents' living room writing songs. He was living with his parents in England and working in a hospital. Some of that money went towards helping them with their bills and mortgage. But everything else went towards making songs. He'd rent out a recording studio that had discounted rates for a very specific reason. The studio, it was a converted toilet, actually. In oh, um, what? <laughs> yeah. It was called the loop hole. Uh, <laughs> but initially, I thought he, he, he said the loo hole, <laughs> right? Kashi didn't have a lot of knowledge of the music industry. His dad was a postman and his mom worked in a factory. So his goal was just to get his music in front of as many people as possible. He'd rent out the studio for about $50 an hour, and each song would take at least 12 hours to record. So you can see how quickly it, a lot. it adds up. So wait, 12 hours, 50, that's like what, like $600 a song? Yeah, I would trust your maths because mine is terrible. <laughs> he'd record demos and send out CDs, and he'd also upload all of his songs to a website called Reverb Nation in hopes of a record company discovering him there. Over the years, he'd written hundreds of songs, but had never earned a single cent from any of them. With every song, you know, I was putting on more pressure, I guess, on myself, right? This has to be the one. And, you know, please God, you know, uh, because how long can I sustain this? And it does come down to money, right? By the time he was in his mid-20s, Kashi had spent more than £60,000 on his music with all the extra money he'd earned on odd jobs. I was painfully aware that this couldn't go on forever. And so I did, you know, I set myself a, a deadline. Oh, really? What was the deadline? Well, it was if by the age of 25, if I hadn't mm. got a break, then I would give up. As Kashi neared that deadline, he could feel himself resisting. He didn't want to give up. In 2008, a year before his 25th birthday, he remembers being at home one night feeling defeated. So he started channeling his emotions into a song. Yeah, I can still to this day, I can picture it in my head, sitting at that keyboard on the floor. And 
uh, yeah, just I think it was the, the the sort of anger and the frustration was just <laughs> coursing through me, and it was just released. Yeah, it was just a it was a release. The lyrics poured out of him. Forget about clever wordplay or poetic subtext. No, these lyrics were as direct as they could be. He wrote about chasing your dreams no matter the cost. He called the song, This Is My Dream. So the the chorus goes, This is my life, this is my dream, this is the reason my heart beats. I'd rather fight each day of my life than give up belief. This is my heart, this is my soul, this is my soul, this is the The song feels like the poetic equivalent of sitting in your car and yelling at the top of your lungs. In fact, when Kashi first started to practice it, he'd scream the lyrics into the void. He'd go to his favorite place, this pebbly beach by his house on the southern coast of England. Yeah, I would often go down there just sitting on the pebbles, contemplating, Mm. um, staring at the sea. It was usually empty. No one around to hear him practicing. Do you have headphones in and so you're just belting as you're listening to the music yeah yeah (laughs) with just free free abandon singing the song he'd think of all the obstacles he'd faced of all the people over the years who gently told him maybe it's time to try something else my mum was a realist a, a pragmatist and she was quite adamant about me getting jobs and being in the real world then there was his dad the day after Kashi wrote the song, he'd gone to the loophole studio to record the demo, and his dad picked him up afterwards. We played it in the car on the way back, and my dad, who, I mean, he was my rock. He was my true champion, the one who really supported me. He would drive me to and from the studio on top of working his uh, crazy shifts and things. And uh, But I remember with that song, He said to me, this is the one. He said, this is the one. But yeah, I just, I came back from the studio and then I I uploaded it and there it sat basically on that website. And just like with every other song, radio silence. So months later, when Kashi turned 25, he made the pragmatic choice. He gave up. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show for Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. Kashi's decision to quit music was a practical one that a lot of people can relate to. The chances of making it, like really making it in certain creative careers, it can feel like one in a million. A Pew survey found that only 8% of working musicians made all their income from music. And when you've been trying for long enough, chasing those dreams can take a real toll on you. It can make a person bitter, burnt out, and broke. The thing about creative fields, though, is that, yeah, talent can get you far, but a lot of it also comes down to timing and luck. Kashi may have given up, but he couldn't have known that years later, he'd finally get a big break in the most unpredictable way. Music was... uh... I just think it's always been like a a lifelong friend. 
I was quite a lonely child, to be honest. Cashy grew up in a place called Worthing. It's a retirement town in southern England nicknamed God's Waiting Room. So as you can imagine, there weren't many kids, and the ones he did know didn't always understand him. He was terribly quiet. You could barely get any words out of him. From a young age, he took that loneliness he felt and made it into poetry. I remember writing, probably my first poem was called I, I Am a Raindrop, Trapped in the Cloud. Aww. Yeah. I found it a few years ago and, and read it again. And my goodness, um, <laughs> talk about cringe. He wanted to be the next George Michael or Elton John. The fact that Elton John grew up just down the road from him made the dream feel that much more possible. Cashy begged his parents for piano lessons. So his mom found a friend of a friend who could teach him for an affordable price. He went on to attend a music college and began performing with friends at local talent nights. He loved being on stage, even though it was terrifying. He was a trained musician with a lot of heart and ambition. But what if all people could see was this guy on stage going right in the face because he was worried about how he came across? And then when he was in his early 20s, he had a new reason to be self-conscious. One day at work, his coworker noticed the way he walked was similar to her son's, who had cerebral palsy. Cashy would lift up his knees when he'd walk, sort of like he was marching. Had you ever noticed that? Well, I hadn't, and I just thought that was the way I walked. The only thing when I was younger is that when I was walking to school, I would walk down a hill, but I would notice the sound of my feet on the pavement was quite loud, like slapping. Like sla and I, I used to joke to myself, because it was quite early in the morning, that I was like a, a neighborhood alarm, waking people up as <laughs> I went along. <laughs> it's me coming down the hill. <laughs> yeah. Cashy looked into it. He was diagnosed with Chacot-Marie Tooth, a neurological condition that makes it progressively more difficult to walk as the brain loses its ability to communicate with the legs. Cashy began to notice people staring at him in the streets. He wondered if they were thinking about his walk. And then one night, he had a performance with friends. I do remember someone making some comments about the way I was walking, uh, and they said that I walked like an ostrich. Mm. Um... I, I can picture them sort of mimicking it, acting it out. Cashy tried to brush it off, but the image kept coming back to him. Certainly in the years since, um, it haunts me somewhat. When Cashy looked at the people who'd made it, at the pop stars on MTV and on billboards, none of them had a disability, from what he could tell. By the time his 25th birthday rolled around, his self-imposed deadline it became clear that it was time for him to quit. He stopped making songs, stopped going to the loophole, and he began pursuing journalism, a career he'd always been interested in and back in the early 2000s was relatively stable and lucrative. And for the first time in my life, music really wasn't, you know, my own music career wasn't really on my, on my mind or in my, my priorities. He had a new life as a journalist working at a radio station. It was a slog. He commuted four hours each day between the office in London and Worthing. He was tired all the time, but at least it was consistent work. Then one day, while he was at his desk, something unexpected happened. So, it was 2012. I was 29. 
I so four years had passed. Okay. Yeah. It was lunchtime. He was listening to music, scrolling on his computer. And then I was just checking my Gmail account. And then completely unexpected, there was an email from Reverb Nation. Oh. And And had you ever gotten an email from them? No, never. You'll remember Reverb Nation is the website where he used to upload his music with the hopes of being discovered. In that email, a manager from the website told Kashi that they'd been contacted by Universal Music Publishing in Hong Kong. And that they were interested in one of my songs, This Is My Dream. The song? Yeah. This publishing company wanted to use his song for HKTV, a Hong Kong TV network. They thought it would make a great theme song for a reality game show that was kind of like Survivor or Amazing Race. What are you thinking as you're reading this email? What's going through your head? It was complete disbelief. <laughs> it was it was like an oh my god moment. Is this really you know happening to me? Uh, it's just weird how the universe, the world works sometimes in that way. Because <laughs> when I wanted it, it was it was nowhere to be <laughs> to be found. Sitting there at his desk, he wondered what this might mean for him, now that a door was finally cracking open. So, yeah, and I couldn't wait to kind of wedge my foot in that door and <laughs> force it open if, if need be. So, yeah, I was excited. I was hugely excited. After the break, This Is My Dream takes on a whole new meaning. The TV network in Hong Kong paid Kashi about $5,000 for his song. Not enough to change his life or quit his job, but it was $5,000 more than he'd ever made from music. He's pretty sure he spent most of it on new clothes. The money was one thing, but what happened next did change his life. One day, after Kashi got home from work, he noticed that his phone kept buzzing. He was getting one notification after another. So I thought, something's going on. The alerts were coming from his YouTube account. Uh, So I clicked on them, and then it led me to these videos. It was more than one, and I couldn't really believe what I was seeing. The videos were all shot from people in Hong Kong who appeared to be at the same event. It kind of looked like a protest. And it was in the streets of Hong Kong. It looked like central Hong Kong. And there were... Large groups of people, I'm talking thousands, and they were, there was somebody on a loudspeaker, like, chanting and and shouting things out. They weren't speaking English, so he didn't understand. But he did pick up on one thing. In the background of all of this, he could hear a song playing. It was his song, This Is My Dream. The people were waving their phones in the air with the lights on. Um, and I was like, I saw a few of these videos. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> so at that point, 
I, I literally run downstairs to yeah. my parents and I think I was a little bit sort of squealing with excitement. <laughs> I was like, you know, come and, come and take a look at this. You'll never believe it. So it's just crowds of people and they're chanting your song, This Is My Dream. Yeah, well, they were playing this song on a loudspeaker and I, I didn't know quite what was going on. So I typed in protest Hong Kong and then it led me to an article on BBC, the news website, and it had said that um, the TV network, HKTV, had not been granted their broadcast license. Oh. So you'll remember, HKTV is the network that bought Cashy's song to be the theme music for a reality game show. Well, the government had apparently rejected HKTV's application for a broadcast license, even though they'd promised to grant it. And now protesters in Hong Kong were furious. And just to give this more historical context of why this was a big deal, it's because for decades, the British Empire ruled Hong Kong. But in 1997, it handed over this area to China and made Hong Kong a special administrative region. And part of the deal of this handover was that Hong Kong would have some political autonomy. It'd be able to keep the freedoms that those in mainland China don't have basically operating as one country, two systems. And so the government not granting HKTV its broadcast license to protesters, that seemed like an obviously political decision. I think they were fearful that Beijing was clamping down on those freedoms, those civil liberties that they'd been promised. And I think by not allowing the TV network to have the broadcast license, it was seen as a sign of that, that this was a threat to their cultural expression. At the time, this was in 2013, Hong Kong's TV offerings were pretty slim. There were only four channels to choose from, and people complained that the shows were basic and boring. HKTV was supposed to be an answer to that, this new home for creative freedom in Hong Kong. And now, that dream was on hold. And so Cashy's song, This Is My Dream, had become a rallying anthem for protesters. The lyrics were a perfect fit. Protesters in Hong Kong dreamed of a life where Beijing didn't encroach on their freedoms. And it was something that they were going to keep fighting for. In Hong Kong, it's not unusual for songs to become protest anthems, but for Kashi, seeing so many people take up his song was confusing and thrilling. But little did I know that that was going to be the actual beginning of it, really, uh, because the song was taking on a whole new life, right? When you create something, you imagine, or at least hope, it'll resonate with people. But you do not expect it'll become the unofficial soundtrack inspiring thousands of free speech protesters. So each time they would uh, hold a rally, they would play that song. Yeah. Wow. And then hours after watching the videos, Kashi got another surprise. He got a message on Facebook from the workers union at HKTV. They asked him, Why not come and perform the song? <laughs> right? <laughs> And what, uh, <laughs> what, what was your response? What went through your head? I just, a million things w were racing through my head at that point. Kashi was out of practice as a musician. 
Plus, he had a job and a life. How would his bosses react if he told him that he had to take an unplanned trip to Hong Kong? And then I went to work the next day and I, I did tell my colleagues about the situation. His co-workers didn't even know that he ever made music. I said, look, I showed them the videos. <laughs> They're probably so confused. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert and I'm very quiet. At the time, Kashi was 30. It seemed unlikely he'd get a chance like this again. It was a Tuesday when the organizers asked that he come perform. By Thursday night, he was on a plane to Hong Kong, feeling the most excited he'd ever been and the most terrified. The biggest show I'd done prior to that point was um, A Battle of the Bands in my local theatre. And that was not many people, to be honest, around 30. (laughs) So there was panic because um, I was thinking, can I still actually sing this song? Mm. because it it was written quite high, in a high key, because uh, I I was reaching for it to give it that sort of, uh, you know, fighting for it, sort of that sort of sound. Plus, he wasn't sure how much of the trip would pay off. The protest group had agreed to pay for his lodging, but not for his flight. Even so, he had his fingers crossed that the trip might open doors and end up paying for itself. Because as the song was gaining political meaning in Hong Kong— It was gaining commercial success as well. It was number 13 on Hong Kong's iTunes singles chart. I was just like, wow, because there were some other big artists on there, like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and that. (laughs) And there was Justin Bieber on there. What? So you're just like, your name is like sandwiched between like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry. Yeah. So that was just funny to, to, to me. It was just like, you know, little old me come from nowhere, from obscurity, and all of a sudden, um, yeah, it was... so bizarre. It's amazing. (laughs) After the near 13-hour-long plane ride, Kashi landed. The organizers greeted him at the airport with flowers and a limo. He looked out the window on the way to the hotel. All these super, super tall buildings, Mm -hmm. gleaming skyscrapers and I came from flat Worthing retirement town right and this is the furthest I traveled in my life at this point so then you get to the hotel you sleep um do you perform the next day um well no I performed that very night wait, and actually what? yeah wait wait you uh, get off the plane and the- yeah because I I'd left in on the Thursday by the time I got there on the flight, it was already Friday. It was Friday, oh, wow. like, afternoon in Hong Kong. He was being shepherded from place to place, meeting people, shaking hands, getting his pictures taken. It all felt like a blur. And then, before he knew it, they were taking him to the venue to perform. He kept thinking, why even be able to sing this song well? Are people going to make fun of the way I walk? My walking gait, whether people would pick up on that, whether it would become a distraction, because I didn't want people to focus on that. The stage is set up outside of Hong Kong's government headquarters in an area known as their Civic Square. I've watched videos from this night. The place, which is as big as a concert venue, is packed. Kashi would later find out that there were 30,000 people waiting for him to sing. There's a big media pit by the front of the stage, just dozens of people with nonstop flashing cameras. Meanwhile, Kashi is waiting in the wings. He looks poised in his navy cardigan, but his heart is pounding. 
He takes deep breaths and then walks out as he hears his introduction. He's flown all the way out from the UK to support us tonight. I can see some of the crowd. Um, so how not big all is of it? it. Uh, as far back as my eyes could, could possibly see, and, and then some. Wow. There are big TV screens that blow up his face so everyone can see him clearly. It's a far cry from the small pubs where he'd performed in England. Before he sings, Kashi is standing in the middle of the stage with the presenter. I just stood there, I guess perhaps a bit like a deer in the headlights, to, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, like, wow, what do what, I do? Do I smile? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. The presenter on stage starts asking him some questions. The only thing I can remember from that interview is we had, we had rehearsed this one phrase in Cantonese mm-hmm. that I was going to say... It translates as, I support you. Mm-hmm. And it was something like, Tang Le or something like that. <laughs> Tang Le, Tang Le. I support <laughs> But when, when it came down to it, when it, I, I got it completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole crowd erupted in laughter. <laughs> but it, it, broke, it broke the ice a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And then it was time to sing. The backing tracks came on, but Kashi didn't actually hear it. Because it was so la- noisy with the crowd and everything, I think I missed the first line of the song and then <laughs> quickly sort of, you know, rushed into it from, from stumbling into it. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then after that, it was just, you know, I was in the song, I was performing it. Where my soul belongs The energy he'd felt by that pebbly seaside back at home when he'd just written the song, that feeling of total release, it overtakes him as he sings on stage. Thousands of people are swaying back and forth, waving their phones' flashlights against the dark sky. I just felt the adrenaline, my heart was going, it was pumping. I felt alive. And are people singing along with you? Yeah, because the lyrics were coming up on the big TV screens that they had. Oh, wow. There was something about this song, maybe the the passion in it, the the kind of fighting spirit that resonated with them. Mm -hmm. When I finished the song... I couldn't wait to do it again. Oh, <laughs> I just really? wanted to, Yeah, I just wanted to do it again. <laughs> um, it was... Um, wow. Yeah, instant high. As soon as he got off stage, the team from the TV network took him to the press pit. Do you, uh, are you afraid of the repercussion that the Chinese government may give you because now you're supporting Hong Kong television and they may not like you? <laughs> what do you feel? It felt like he was on the red carpet with the media peppering him with questions and snapping even more pictures. He was in a daze as he got back to the hotel. His phone was flooded with thousands of Facebook requests and messages. Someone sent me a screenshot and it was the iTunes chart and there it was at number one. So it it was above, you know, those artists that I mentioned earlier. That's wild. So that was a pinch yourself moment for sure. Yeah. Um, And then I definitely wasn't getting any sleep that night. (laughs) (laughs) You're number one on the charts. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Even after talking with Kashi about all of this, 
it still does feel pretty unbelievable. But at the same time, there is something about the song that just drills into your subconscious. Like, when I first heard it, I thought it was okay. But then after hearing it multiple times, I'd randomly find myself humming the melody while doing the dishes or just full-on singing it around the house. It is catchy. The way it builds, the way it invites you to belt along. I don't know much about what makes a song infectious, but Kashi seems to have cracked the code. Cause the passion I feel inside is too strong to lay down and die. Cause this is my life, this is my dream, this is the reason my heart beats. I'd rather fight each day of my life. A few days after the concert, Kashi traveled home to Worthing and returned to normal life. It didn't feel the same. I went to work, but... And initially they celebrated it and everything, and they were really pleased for me. And I think in disbelief, I showed them, the obviously, the footage, which was mm-hmm. on YouTube by that point. They could not believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a contrast to who I was in the office. His co-workers were supportive, but Kashi could tell that his employer wasn't. Well, who do you want to be? Are you journalists or are you this singer, songwriter on the other side of the world, you know. Kashi's employer ended up not renewing his contract. And and so when you lost the job, did it, did you feel like it still was worth it to have that moment in Hong Kong? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, because it was priceless, it was, yeah. it was still priceless for me. And, you know, real sort of once in a lifetime opportunity that money couldn't buy. Kashi thought about it. Music was all he'd wanted to do in life. England had never really given him a chance. And now he'd even lost his backup career. All signs were pointing towards going back to Hong Kong. Oh, interesting. And that I would give myself a deadline. I would go back for three months, try and leverage what had happened with Mm -hmm. the song to try and get a record deal. You love deadlines. Yeah. (laughs) Weeks after the performance in the winter of 2013, Kashi returned to Hong Kong hoping to get a record deal. It was daunting. But he'd made a friend, Eva. She'd seen his picture when he'd first appeared on local news in Hong Kong. And then that led her to my facebook page where she heard one of my songs called believe in you so Mm. she didn't actually know this is my dream kashi was amused that she gravitated towards one of his lesser known songs and she was going through a rough time at work um and was close to giving up and she heard the song and in that instant it actually she told me it made her cry Um, So she sent me a message Mm. and it stood out to me because it was different. There was real heart behind it. Before Kashi arrived back in Hong Kong, Eva had organized a crowdfunded concert for him. Things between them got very intimate very quickly. Eva gave Kashi a Chinese name. What is it? um, Kei Ga Hung. It means pray permanent home pray permanent home and she was basically she was hoping that uh, that Hong Kong would become a place where my music would be taken into people's homes and it would become more of like a permanent base base for me with Eva's help Kashi did get a record deal 
But it wasn't enough for a lasting career in music. These days, he's working as a journalist again. He tried everything he could think of to really make it in Hong Kong. Recording a song in Cantonese, paying to make his own music video, he's even done some infomercials. But the thing that launched his musical career ended up being a kind of kryptonite. Because his song was the anthem of an anti-government protest, he lost some opportunities. Like he says, some radio stations refused to play his music. But the one record deal he did get, combined with the money from iTunes, it was enough to break even with everything he'd spent over the years making music. And the name that Eva had given Takashi would become true in a way. Because Hong Kong would become his home. And Eva would become his wife. Reflecting back on everything, do you feel like you've had a successful music career? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that it was, you know, the song, at least I had one song Mm. that did something and was part of something Mm -hmm. much bigger than just me Mm -hmm. and and my dream. So I take that to heart and... um, I'm very proud of that song. It's a beast of a song. And it, it was honest. I lived it. Even famous artists tend to have like a signature song or a song that they're most remembered for or known for. Um, and people talk about one-hit wonders in a very derogatory way. But I think it's better to have one than none. Kashi, of course, wishes he could make a living off his music there's still a way that his dream is escaping him. HKTV's dream would also never be complete. It gave up the fight for a broadcast license in 2018 and became an e-commerce platform instead. And the protests in 2013, they paved the way for bigger demonstrations in Hong Kong. But the way Kashi's song changed his life, the way it became so meaningful for so many people, he can still appreciate the poetry of that. Kashi remembers practicing This Is My Dream on that pebbly beach back home. I could see the horizon. I used to think, you know, what's beyond that horizon and will I ever get there? You know, hmm. what's... And and I did in that moment. You know, yeah. I was on the other side of the, of the world. As I was... Yeah, li- yeah that was the, the, the dream. And it was real, at least for that moment in time. that is all for our show this week as always if you want to reach out you can shoot me and the team a note over at uncomfortable at marketplace.org we love hearing from you all also don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter if you haven't already there's always great recs in there for things to cook or listen to or watch you can sign up for that over at marketplace.org comfort and then one more thing before we go we would love to hear from you all for an upcoming episode we're working on about financial confessions Do you have a confession that is just too juicy not to share? Like maybe you pretended to be in love with someone when really you were just in love with their money. Or maybe you lied about your financial status to fit in. Or I don't know, maybe you have a sneaky trick to avoid getting stuck with the bill. 
Whatever your confession is, no matter how small, share it with us and we might include you on the show. You can email us at uncomfortable at marketplace.org or you can call and leave a message at 347-RING-TIU. That's 347-746-4848. This episode was lead produced by me, Hannah Harris-Green, and hosted by Rime Freis. We wrote the script together. The episode got additional support from Alice Wilder and H. Conley. Zoe Saunders is our senior producer. Our editor is Jasmine Romero. Our intern is Marika Proctor. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Bridget Bodner is Marketplace's director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. Neil Scarborough is vice president and general manager of Marketplace. Special thanks to Professor Tom Itze from the University of Amsterdam and Marketplace's Jennifer Pack. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, we'll catch y'all next week.